listeners, hello. Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we are talking about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. I'm Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here. I'm joined by John Bruce. There is a relation. He's my dad, and he is another pastor here. He knows a lot about habits. I know a lot about talking about habits. That's why we're doing a podcast together, and I think that's what makes this work. Dad, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah? Good. I'm, that's that's the sum of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm doing very well. Thank you. That's good. Good to be here. As the Admiral said on that famed Simpsons episode, I'm a man of few words. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> That's what I think of you. Well, Dad, today we are continuing our series on the habits of healthy community. And our premise is this, that Jesus died and rose again to make us a community. Uh, More specifically, Jesus came to bring us into his family, to make us part of the family of God. And that got me thinking today about a quote from one of my old profs, Joe Hellerman. And he said it like this, that the New Testament picture of the church as a family flies in the face of our individualistic cultural orientation. God's intention is not to become the feel-good father of a myriad of isolated individuals who appropriate the Christian faith as yet another avenue toward personal enlightenment, nor is the biblical Jesus to be conceived of as some sort of spiritual mentor whom we can happily take from church to church, from marriage to marriage, fully assured that our personal Savior will somehow bless and redeem our destructive relational choices every step of the way. Basically, what Professor Joe is saying there is that the Christian life is not just about loyalty to Jesus, it's also about loyalty to Jesus' people, the church, and that our faithfulness toward each other is both a response to God's faithfulness and a reflection of God's faithfulness. It's our love that displays Jesus' saving love, which means, as we have said, there is so much at stake in our relationships with each other. It's not just about my needs being met. It's about God's glory being made known in the world. And so it's critical we learn how to live in healthy community. How do we do that? What are the habits? That's what we are trying to figure out. And we're using Romans 12 to do that because Paul gives us this kind of template or blueprint for healthy community. And we're working through each of these imperatives and trying to figure out what would our culture look like if we did what Paul says. So we're continuing the series today with Romans 12, 12. And Paul says this, he calls us to be rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Now, Dad, you summarized this as being a positive community. Paul calls us to be positive here. And I might agree with that characterization. I don't know. Maybe the podcast will be more interesting if we vehemently disagree. But I want to know, what did you mean by that? Why, why did you think what Paul is getting at here is, is positive community? I just, uh, that's a good question. I, I kind of summarized, I think, what uh, those three commands yeah. of uh, in, that, in that verse, uh, that Christian community is to to be rejoicing, persevering, and praying, Hmm. which to me is the opposite of being negative, downtrodden, negative... And prayerless. Prayerless, yes, exactly. (laughs) Non-praying. Yeah, Yeah. I just, uh, you know, I've been thinking about that when we talk about culture, what we're really talking is about 
how the majority of people in a group habitually behave. That's, that's really what we're talking about, or at least the most influential people in the group. But what sets the, the, the climate of a group is the behavior and the beliefs of the people. And so it just strikes me that Christian community should be a community where there's a lot of joy, right. where, where people are rejoicing, uh, not because their lives are all that great right now, but because of the assurance of hope they have uh, for the future, that, that we all know how the story ends. Right. And so it would be unbelief for us to not be rejoicing each day. Um, and because we're rejoicing in that hope, we don't give up. We, we continue to persevere, persevere. We don't throw in the towel or despair or our mo- our mope or sulk or complain, right. uh, but keep moving forward. And we're devoted to prayer because we believe God's promises. We have great hope in him. And we're depending on him to do all these promises. So I, I kind of summarize all that thing as a basic positive orientation toward life, as opposed to a despairing or negative or complaining. Yeah, could you say it's a hopeful community? Yes, we're filled with hope. Yeah, um, hope's hope's just as good. Good. <laughs> well, then we agree. Okay. Darn it! I was hoping for. <laughs> Uh, yeah, surprisingly, we agree on this. But, but yeah, I think um, I, the image that always comes to mind with, with joyfulness is the one that, that, that uh, Tim Keller uses, but buoyancy. Yeah. It's that idea of we have an orientation to come back towards God, and, and it's hope that anchors that, right? <laughs> to mix the metaphor. It's the anchor that makes us float, right? Yeah. But uh, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if Paul could mix his metaphors, so could I. But but buoyancy is, is the idea, right, is that, that we have an orientation to come back toward God because of the unshakable hope we have in Jesus, that yeah. the victory is certain, our future is sure. So just like in the Psalms, we have times of lament, we have times of crying out, we weep with those who weep, as Paul goes on to say. But in the Psalms, you see this buoyancy of, but this I recall, but this I call to mind, but this I know, yeah. that God will be faithful to his... Yeah promises. Yeah. And and so I think that's really what we're getting at here. And that's the anchor of our perseverance is that hope. Yeah. That's what what fuels us to to bear under hardship. Right. And and I'm I, as you were talking I it reminded me of of 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says now by these three faith, hope, and love. And I think I tend to to look at faith mm-hmm. as important and love as important. Yeah. But Paul puts hope right up there with those those three. These are three things that people should see when they look at a Christian, when they look at a Christian community. Right. And so that hope, I think, is what Paul is describing here in this verse. Yeah. And I think it's important to distinguish between the way we use hope in normal vernacular and the way the New Testament uses hope. Hmm. That... Hope is not just an optimistic outlook about the future, that ah, things will work out. Hope is the certainty of what God has promised, and and the certainty of a coming reality, that Jesus will return, that he will um, right every wrong, that he will make everything sad come untrue, all of those things. That's hope. So it's much more concrete and objective than than the way that we often use yeah, hope. Yeah, exactly. that, that, oh, even though circumstances show that there's no way out of this, I hope. Well, no, it, 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 it's, it's about, no, God will do what he said. Yeah. That's why we're hopeful. Yeah. yeah, you cannot separate hope from faith. Right. It's the assurance of things hoped for. Yeah, Right. exactly. Exactly. That's good. Good. 
So what does this look like when it's fleshed out in a community to rejoice in hope, to, to bear under tribulation, to be persevering, and then, and then also to, to be devoted to prayer? I, I see it as the opposite of a complaining, negative, intimidated, worried, defensive, despairing, or reactive church. Hmm. All those things. So I, I can tell you more what it doesn't look like than what it looks like. Good. So tell me what <laughs> you just did, but anything else to add on that about what it doesn't look like? No, I think that's just it. It's just, is, is our daily attitude controlled by our circumstances or by our faith? That's, to me, is really what it comes down to. Right. If, if, my, if it's controlled by my, by my circumstances, then I'll give up because I get tired. I, I get tired of uh, seeming to be losing the battle or we're not making any progress or, or things like that. Um, uh, I will not be jo- rejoicing because I don't always have happy circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will certainly not be depending on God uh, to maintain that hope. Right. I, I think one of the things that comes out here is that we need community to foster this kind of persevering hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That left to ourselves, we will be prone to get caught up in our own minds or anxieties, and we need the, the witness of other believers to how God has brought them through to really fuel us, because these commands are written to a community of people. Right. They could be taken individually, but Paul is talking about what should characterize us as a people. Yeah. And we need the, the hopeful... Um, posture of other believers, and particularly those who have been through suffering. Um, it's interesting, Paul connects suffering and hope yeah. in other places, like Romans 5, yeah. where it talks about that suffering produces endurance, and endurance, right, proven character, character, hope. I don't know if I got all the steps right there, but, <laughs> um, but, but suffering and hope are connected because when you weather something and get through it, your hope grows. Yeah. That God brought me through this, He's going to get me through other things as well. And, and I find that the people often who have suffered the most are the most hopeful yeah. as Christians, yeah. if they've weathered it. And I need that testimony um, to strengthen my own hope yeah. um, or my own, my own um, resolve to, to persevere. I was thinking, so last night our missions committee met with Chamron Fall, who uh, mm. um, uh, has an incredible testimony, but, you know, has a deep heart for the Cambodian people. He's from Cambodia, but... Uh, Chemron has suffered probably more than just about anyone I know. Um, he was rescued out of the killing fields in Cambodia, and the things he saw and experienced, I mean, I heard one researcher call it the purest genocide in the Cold War era, what happened in the killing fields there, right? Two million people, something like that, yeah. were just killed under the Khmer Rouge. And, and the things he saw, the things he experienced um, could have broken him. And yet, he is one of the happiest, most joyful people I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah. And he told us last night when he came, he said, the suffering of COVID, here's why it is so good for you to go through this, and the mm. way it is going to build your faith, and here's what it is doing in Cambodia. And he talked and challenged us to even think about how Paul prayed for suffering if it meant that he would know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Yeah. Yeah. And and if he wasn't who he was and came in and said that, you'd think, this guy is just living in denial about the hardship of the world, and yet none of us in that room could say, well, you know, this guy hasn't really suffered. No, he suffered tremendously. That's right. But the fact that that was his mentality showed me, okay, I I have to 
to have a different approach to suffering in my own life yeah. than I've had. Yeah. So I, I just, uh, that story just jumped out to me because it happened yesterday. Yeah, so. that's good. No, I think, I think overthinking is always our enemy. And uh, we can get lost in our own minds and, and, and believe the adversary's lies that nothing, nobody has it as bad as you do. And uh, nobody has the problems and the struggles you do. And that's why when we get together and, and you run into someone like Shamron who, who is just positive and, and you really, it just, it's like cold water in the face. It just realize, wait a minute, <laughs> I have been deceived by my own stupidity here and I have every reason to be joyful and happy just like he does because of the promises of God. Right. And that, and that spirit is contagious. It, it really It is a, as a result of the, I, uh, the story I always remember was playing, playing in a rugby tournament in Steamboat Springs one summer. We were playing at 7,000 feet in a, in a field that had been used for a rodeo the day before. <laughs> it was just miserable. It was about a hundred, it was about a hundred degrees. And of course it's thin air and uh, we didn't feel like playing. And then we get into the game, and the other team there is just so tough and so big, and we were just getting run over, and, and I could see our whole team just was losing the desire to compete right away. And this is the first half, and we're not doing well. Until my buddy Richie Blue, and, and Richie, you know, just a, he's just a solid, solid, basically square guy. I mean, he is completely square. <laughs> he's just as, he is, he's as broad as he is tall. And, yeah. and uh, they had this big guy who was running at us and nobody wanted to tackle him. He just was so big and, you know, oh God. until Richie comes flat out of nowhere and just picks the guy up in the air and slams him to the ground. And it was like a jolt of electricity went through our whole team. Yeah. And we, and we went on from there, but because of his example of, of, Taking the battle to the other, you know, it just it got us re- realized all of us where we where we were mentally and it picked us up. And I think that's even truer spiritually that, that right. when you can have people around you who are hopeful and 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 positive and trusting God, it it raises everybody. Yep, absolutely. No, it 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 doesn't take many to really shift the culture. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, and and that hope in. In the certainty of Christ's victory, it it you just there's no substitute for it in persevering. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, how does all that relate to being a prayerful community? Because being devoted, being constant in prayer, to me, is the practical outworking of this. If we have this resolute hope and we're bearing under tribulation, what that'll look like practically is a prayerful community. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- I think that that prayerful means you're you're drawing your strength from the Lord mm-hmm. rather than from yourself or from your circumstances or anything like that. And so that is kind of the basis, practical basis for strength and hope every day. Jesus said, kept watching and praying for the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right. And so I think it is through prayer that we really lay hold of, of God's power and joy to to be able to maintain that hopefulness and not succumb to to the bad news that the world is constantly throwing at us, what our flesh is constantly throwing at us, and yeah. and a lot of times what other people are constantly throwing at us, it just it changes our perspective because we're listening to a different voice. Yeah. So that's certainly true individually. 
Um, but again, we're trying to create a culture of this. So fostering a culture of prayerfulness, what do you think that looks like? Well, I think for one thing, it is being transparent about our own struggles. I think that, that uh, the question I had about this is how can I be honest about my own struggles without becoming a downer to the people around me um, and pulling them down? And, I, and the example to me, of course, was Jesus, because it, at Jesus' point of greatest temptation and greatest weakness, he asked his disciples to pray with him in the garden. And, and I don't think that shook their faith. I think that there was just a sense that how much he needed God. He says, my soul is grieved to the point of death. Watch with me and pray. And, and I think that is a great example of what, what prompts prayer. It's not, oh, we need to have a prayer meeting, or we need to, uh, it, it is more just being honest about our need, our own need for God, and our own need for his grace and his perspective, and, and asking our brothers and sisters to pray with us for those things. Yeah. It's almost like if we realized how desperate we were, <laughs> and that our struggles are actually too big for us to handle. Yeah. Right and 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 too overwhelming that that would drive us to God more often in our relationships with each other to pray more and yeah. to remind ourselves of the hope that's only in God yeah. and is nowhere else. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think when when our our relationships are such that we're we're guarding ourselves from being too honest about what our needs are, then there's really no compelling reason to pray for each other. Um, you know, most prayer requests have to do with health. I mean be realistic, and it's usually about somebody else's health, and it's usually about somebody else's health who lives far away. And so it's not like a, a crying need where uh, where you're hearing, I this is something I am struggling with right now. I need God's grace. I need God's perspective on this. I need to, right. to see my way through. What does God want me to do here? Yeah. Will you pray with me for that? I mean, any of us would pray for that. Yeah. We would pray for that. It's just that nobody's asking for it. Right. Yeah. And so that gets back to the point about letting love be genuine and um, the need for honesty in, in healthy community. Yeah. And that we need to cultivate the kind of community where we are really honest about how much we need God in different areas, which means we've got to believe that we need God in those yeah. areas. Yeah. And to say that, that my own strength, my own competence isn't going to measure up to the moment here. Yeah. And yeah. so would you pray for me with this? Yeah. And I think that that fosters it. Um, yeah, I, I think it if a community talks about struggles and doesn't pray, they're not rejoicing in hope. Right. That's the problem is, oh, well, we're just being authentic. Well, if you're never praying, <laughs> you're, you're, you're never really being authentic in a way that builds faith. It, it, it can just become kind of emotional vomiting on, on, and here's all my problems. And transparency is great, but, but that should drive us back to God. I mean, I think that's the whole point of the Psalms, right, um, is, is that it reminds us of our need and then drives us communally right. to Him. And so I just think, practically, the way we foster that in a community is, A, we really prioritize prayer when we're together. We are always setting aside time to pray. But then as we talk to each other outside the group, that when needs come up, we stop right there and we pray about them. Yeah. And we just make that the normal habit of life, that we're going to pray when something comes up that feels overwhelming instead of just talking about it right. endlessly. 
And I, uh, it's one reason I really admire Emily Driggers because she does this better than just about anyone we've ever met is that, you know, when, when something comes up and we're anxious about it, he goes, well, we should pray. And, and part of me always goes, you know, kind of like, yeah, we should, but all right, <laughs> let's pray. But then, you know, it's like, no, that's, that's actually the right response here yeah. to be constant in prayer, devoted in prayer means, okay, we've encountered a situation that's too big for us. Yeah. We feel that we're just going, our posture is going to be to move towards prayer. And I, I just really admire that about yeah. her yeah. because I think her <laughs> faith is stronger than mine in, in, in that area. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's great. I, I think that it also highlights the fact that we want to solve the problem ourselves. That's just the way the flesh is. And it seems like if we could just discuss this enough, you know, our complain about it enough, we can come up with a solution for it rather than just throwing ourselves on God and depending on him, which is what we're supposed to do. Right. I, I think one thing that, uh, just playing off that a little bit, I, I think that every pessimist I've ever met considers themselves a realist. Um, I'm just being realistic. I'm not coding, sugar-coating things. But really, is, is pessimism realism or is optimism realism? Well, I think that if you're a person of faith, then optimism is realism. I think realism is realism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but you have to, how do you perceive reality? And, and, and so it's like what Jesus said do you believe, to Thomas, do you believe because you see, blessed he who does right. not see and believes. And so... Right. I, I think the problem to me with pessimism a lot of times is its presumption. Yeah. And, and the presumption is this, that, well, I can see where things are going. Yeah. I can see where things are headed. And they're just going to keep heading in the. This is where the culture's headed. This is where this relationship's headed. This is where these people are headed. You know, guys, it's going to get a lot worse. Yeah. And and yeah, things are going to get worse in the world. But you have no flipping idea what God is going to do. Yeah. In this generation or any other, how He's going to do it, how He's going to use people, and you are playing God yeah. to just assume that things are going to inexorably go on this route because you can see it. Exactly. And go on that. And so to me. I, it, it bothers me a lot when Christians act that way because y- your faith is not in God. Your faith is in your ability to prognosticate about where things are going. Exactly. And, and to me, there's a lot of pride oh, in that yeah. um, assessment. Now, there can be pride in a kind of naive optimism on the other side that, well, things are just going to keep going in this direction no matter what, right? And, and uh, you know, living in denial of the hardships or the realities that things are fragile. But, but either way, I think there's a danger and I don't think cynics or pessimists are living in reality. I think they're, they're living in their own imagined reality of how they think things are going to play out. Right. Um, and it could be a self-fulfilling prophecy when you think, well, things are going to go bad. <laughs> they do. They do. So uh, yeah. especially in your relationships with the people around you, if you're negative about them. And yeah. so yeah. rather than hope-filled and saying, God, we desperately need you, but we're confident you can do what you want to do and, right. and that you can, you can do impossible things here. Right. So. Right. And this comes back to, I think, for me, is Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, yeah. but only such a word as is good for edification, that it may give grace to those who hear. And, right. and so we're responsible that whenever we speak to people, especially our fellow believers, is that we're giving them grace through what we say. That, that yeah, we're they're pointing, strengthened. We're strengthened. They're, they're built up. They're, they're focused on God. Their faith is, is, is encouraged rather than discouraged. Right, and so I think that gets into this thing, rejoicing in hope. Right, um, reminding them all we have to rejoice in and what what God is doing. So my question is, how do you do that without? 
becoming coming across pious or unrealistic or insensitive to the pain they're in. Yeah. Was that a rhetorical question? No, that was an actual question. That was an actual <laughs> question. I think part of it has to do with prayer, that, that as we talk about hard things in our life, then we go to God and pray about yeah. them yeah. And, and make our requests known to Him so that the peace of God can, um, we can experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I think there are times where, you know, it's hard, but we know that God wins in the end. And saying that thing can come across as cold comfort to someone, or, or it can come across as trite, just something you're supposed to say. Yeah. But I think the language of prayer helps us to, to transcend that in a way and talk to God because it changes our orientation when we bring God into the conversation. Exactly. And, and, and now confessing, yeah, God, our hope is in you in this situation. There's nothing trite about saying that. No. That's an honest confession of faith and, and, and hope. And, and, and we're not just trying to give people trite words to, to, to pick them up, right? Because that's not going to help in a lot of situations. So right. I think it's just learning to have a posture of prayer as we talk about hard things, say, hey, let's, let's go to the Lord now yeah. and talk to Him. Yeah. And, and here's the pushback I'd give people who push back against that. If they say, well, that feels weird, I would just say, well, should it? Should yeah. it feel unnatural to just pray like that? Or is that a sign that there is a really atrophied muscle in our community where we don't have a tendency to bring things to God in prayer? I mean, just read through the book of Acts and see what happens when there's a problem. What do they do? <laughs> they had a conference. Yeah, they had a conference on problems in <laughs> Greco-Roman society. Pro problems in the church today. <laughs> right. No, I, but they, they, they pray yeah. every single time, and they all gather to pray. Yeah. Every, and so that is the normal rhythm of, of a persevering community. It is. And, and so I would say that's a big part of the answer. There are times... Where, where you can speak truth to, to give people hope. I mean, I think a lot of it is knowing when to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, which gets into it. There's a skill there of knowing when to say what to a person and what they need to hear. There's no science to that. It's art. But the, the one thing I'm sure of is that going to God in prayer is a safe bet yeah. in those situations. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it, you have the balance of, of not giving trite answers, and, and listening and, and sympathizing with a person who is hurting, but not leaving them there. But, right. But, but say, but the bigger picture is, I believe God can work here. Yeah. That, that Paul says, we're constantly delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, hmm. so that we will not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And so many of the things we go through, problems we go through, is really God putting us into situations we cannot solve so that we will turn to him and let him solve them and he'll be glorified. Yep. And and I am so married to my own glory that I want to be the one who solves it. I want to be the one who you know helps us out, give you the answer, things like that. And that doesn't glorify God. Uh, what God glorifies is when he gets the glory and 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 when people see he's the only hope and he does work when we just ask him. Yeah. I think a, a question that comes to mind to ask people as they're pouring out their soul and, and talking about their troubles. And uh, I heard Ray Ortland say this, that, that his friend asks him this question all the time, but, well, where do you think God is in all this? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and just to, to, to introduce that 
yeah. <laughs> as a new perspective because immediately then we have to say, okay, well, God is working. Yeah. God is doing something. God is bringing his redemptive purpose to bear. So where is that? And I think there's nothing trite about answering, exactly. asking that yeah. question. But, but it's not a way that's trite or gimmicky or, you know, just saying the right thing because that's what you're supposed to say, but saying, no, honestly, where do you think God is in the middle of this? Yeah. So. And I think also asking, what would you like God to do? Yeah. You know, let's, let's just get it out there. Let's, well, yeah. let's ask him. And then let's ask him. Let's ask him, right. let's ask him to do that. Rather, are you, do you want to just sit in the corner and gripe? Yeah. But are you, do you want, want to move forward in faith? Right. Yeah. Are we going to gripe there's a giant out there that nobody wants to fight? Or are we going to, we're going to pray and <laughs> pray for a David? Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's good. Any other thoughts, questions? I think the question I would have uh, is just for, for you and, and everyone who asks, is just to ask practically who encourages your faith the most? And what do they do? You know, why why is that particular person such an encourager to your faith? Why what what is it about them that lifts your spirit? Not just makes you feel better, but it 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 lifts your thoughts towards God. Yeah. That that it it solidifies your faith. It, it's like the the mist is cleared away for a little bit and you realize that this is what's important. This is what's true. This is this is why I have nothing to to worry about or be concerned about. Right, because God is still on His throne. What do those few those people do? And then just do what they do. I mean, it's, and I think that's that's kind of the application of this. Yeah. Yeah. Who are those chamrons in your life? Who are those people who you're around them and and, and think, man, I I would love <laughs> to be that that sort of spark plug for other people yeah. who. Yeah. You, you, you're just around them, and there's something contagious about their joy. Yeah. There's nothing off-putting or fake about it. It's just who they are. Yeah. Is this person of unshakable hope in the Lord? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's good. Well, I think that's a great place to, to end, because I've got nothing more to say. Okay. So, <laughs> always a good time to end. That's <laughs> always the time to end. Well, Dad, thank you, and listeners, thank you, and we'll be back again with you soon. 